signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Those Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. We're, uh, it's a race against time on this episode, <laughs> Ben, because I'm looking at you and you're looking at me. Mm-hmm. You've both made some concessions for the sake of the show. Mistakes have been made. <laughs> I'm looking at you and uh, you appear to be in a closet... <laughs> and uh, and the composition's great. Any anyone who's not watching the live stream, uh, I'm I'm here to tell you that you've got kind of a uh, you've got some some soundproof baffling creeping into frame on a, a like a nice curvature, like a little bit a uh, little bit a third of the frame uh, curving yeah. in there, and then on the other third of the frame on your other side, got a nice row like a vanishing point row of coats and 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 other garments like creating a vanishing point into i would say your face so there's like a nice yeah. really nice aesthetic going on in your closet there's like a rule of threes thing there's vanishing points drawing the eye to myself but then there's also complicating factors like my mic stand being in frame and that uh, sort of pointing away from my face, giving giving some tension to the to the composition. Right. Yeah, I mean, it feels like you're you're being surrounded by things. Maybe <laughs> maybe you're shrinking from the pressure, right? Of of this thing, of this experience. He is a loathsome, offensive brute. Yet I can't look away. So the the reason I'm in a closet this week is that <laughs> <laughs> uh, we just moved and. Everything is in boxes, and this was like the least, you know, like because it's a house with fake hardwood floors and no objects in it. Every room in the house is super boomy at the moment, and the the room that will be my studio going forward currently has um, people working on the roof. It's very noisy out there and also super boomy, so... Uh, I didn't even bother with like trying to set up the permanent solution uh, because of that. Um, they've also cut several holes in the roof and not made any attempt to like do anything about stuff under it. So like two days ago, the movers put a bunch of things in that room, including like a tribble and a bunch of winter coats and soft objects. And I went in there this morning and they they're all just like completely covered in like sawdust and little fragments of tar <laughs> oh that's fun yeah uh anyways uh i'm in I, i'm in the closet uh because it seemed like the best place sound wise but i also can't monitor my sound because i uh i couldn't find a pair of headphones that plug into my audio interface so i wow i have just my my wireless earbuds connected to the laptop to talk to you but uh, you're going wild man i pre-apologize to rob and the friends of desoto for what could very well be a catastrophe in the making maybe i'll close the door just just to be extra safe on every show i speak for myself and the assembled viewers when i say we appreciate your service (laughs) mistakes have been made all over the place today i feel like like in addition to like the audio danger, uh, I have, I'm in a different place from where I usually record. I have had to turn off the air conditioning. Oh boy! For sound reasons, I feel like we're both in a circumstance that could be described as a race against time, where we're frogs being boiled right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Southern California is very hot on the day of this recording, and I uh, am discovering that my new home does not have good insulation because the wall next to me is like bearing direct sunlight at the moment and i might as well just be like like sleeping against the sun (laughs) against the surface of the sun ben you've had a rough couple of days in this new place man i (laughs) i've been thinking about you a lot i really hope you aren't feeling any regrets over what should be a joyful occasion it it should be it has not been so far uh 
I, I returned my keys to my apartment uh, to my old landlord, and I said, uh, "Yeah, we've already had a gas leak." And I like my first thought was, "I need to call you." And she said, "Well, you can't call me anymore." Wow. <laughs> she really twisted the knife. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah. I mean, she was joking, but it was also <laughs> kind of uh, kind of brutal, as you say. Wow. Well, uh, it's got to get better from here, Ben. It's, <laughs> it just has to. Yeah. Have you ever tried uh, getting tar out of a Tribble? <laughs> <laughs> I, I am hoping I don't have to uh, order a re- replacement Tribble. That thing is a is one of the cornerstones of our touring setup. We always have a Tribble on stage. Yeah, and with the benefit of that tar, we can <laughs> stick it to the underside of our of our banquet table on stage yeah. or something. That Tribble is usually the most entertaining thing about our show. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. <laughs> well, uh, the the Marin Open, frequently the most entertaining part of any greatest gen or greatest discovery. Uh, I feel pretty good about this one. Yeah, you guys can all turn it off here. <laughs> and then uh, we can get into our Chris Farley show of telling each other what we liked about the most recent lower decks. Starting now. <laughs> I think things are going to turn up here, Ben, because not to cut to the end, I think this was uh, my favorite episode of Lower Decks yet. Wow. It's Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 9, Crisis Point. The episode opens with Mariner pulling down uh, a statue. Were these aliens Soleil and Antikins from uh, that early TNG episode? I think they were, yeah. They could be no other type of alien. <laughs> Very fun to see them uh, reprise their existence. <laughs> I like that the Antican sounds kind of like an Antican, but I don't remember hearing the Soleil say anything on that episode, but that was also a thousand years ago. I can't remember which was which. Antican is dog and Soleil is lizard. Okay. I don't know how I've got that down cold, but I do. (laughs) Like, this is the effect that TNG has had on our minds, is, like, I don't know my new address, even though we closed on this place over a month ago, but I I do know that Nagilam is a (laughs) weird alien and a... (laughs) In a space anomaly, you know? Neither of us have room for new memories anymore, Ben. This is it. (laughs) It's all taken up by Antikins and Soleil. Mariner has has toppled the statue in their town square, Saddam Hussein style, uh, (laughs) believing that she is going to be greeted as a liberator. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, (laughs) That has not been the effect here. Uh, Mariner psyched at liberating the Soleil and in getting into a conversation with them. This seems to be kind of an arrangement where the Antikins eat the Soleil and uh, the Soleil may or may not be all right with this arrangement in a, in a strange way. Right. there, We do have occasionally encounter a species in Star Trek that is subjugated in some way, but sort of can't imagine yeah. a version of their own existence outside of that subjugation. Why don't you accept your fate? I definitely got caught whiffs of that here, but uh, we don't get too deep into this because pretty soon Captain Freeman beams down and... I'm going to put this on Freeman because why in the hell is she putting Mariner on this mission by herself, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you could, if you if you rewound this episode to five minutes before the show started. Yeah. Like, I want to interrogate that moment. Was Mariner like, I'm going on shore leave. Let me take one of these trucks. Or right. was it like, uh, hey, you need to go down and see what's up with the uh, with the lizard people and the dog people. It's a fun bit of expectation play because Mariner is like, uh, here comes my captain who is going to love this shit and everything I've done about it. And what Freeman does after beaming down is is totally kneecap Mariner. Yeah. And the mission that she's been on. I love that, that like child-parent conflict mapped onto prime directive conflict that happens here. There's such a truth to the parent who walks into a room and immediately negates a thing that their that their kid did. 
in a way that is like very painful for people you know like to to experience that kind of negation at the hands of your parents but to but to put it it in like the scale of argument of like this is a prime directive violation is is a very funny like use of star trek as a place that i really really liked i think it's crucial that they're able to have this conversation because they're in private you know like they go off into the corner to argue this it's interesting to me that they're both kind of arguing from the same position there's a minor difference between those positions though and that's that mariner believes in in freeing the Soleil from their oppression. Right. And Freeman believes that the Soleil should be able to choose whether or not they should be eaten while basking. Yeah. I loved the furtive glances from the captain as well as they as yeah. they discuss this because it's a secret that they're both keeping. And yeah. I think that uh, I, I, I am hoping we find out why, why the secrecy and why they are both in on it. Because it's like what, one of the few things they agree on, you know? <laughs> It seems to be a thing that would get Freeman into more trouble than Mariner, though. And and this is a specific moment that would. Like, if we fast forward now to an episode or a couple episodes from now where this is outed in some way, this is going to be a moment where Freeman would be accused of of some sort of benefit. Like there's no reason that Mariner should be freelancing the way that she's doing without any sort of checks on an away mission the way that she has. And and it's not Mariner that would be in trouble for that is what I'm saying. I think that would fall on Freeman as captain. Agree. Uh, the button on the scene is Freeman smooths this whole thing over by offering replicators to the Antican in lieu of eating the Soleil. He can get some replicators that make food pellets. So, If you're a dog, what you want to eat is the kibble, right? <laughs> it's Sounds a, great. It's a non- uh, prime directive violating way to the same result. <laughs> it is. How many problems can be solved with food in so missions many. like these? Yeah. yeah. So, so many. I mean, there's so many TNG episodes that could be solved with just give them replicators and get the fuck out of here. So. Yeah. Mariner is gaveled out basically by Freeman. And when the gavel falls, the punishment is therapy. Yeah. Mariner appears to be beamed out against her will, leaving uh, leaving Freeman the mop-up duty here. And uh, her punishment is an appointment with Dr. McGlimo, <laughs> someone, someone who both of them seem to uh, feel some, some antipathy towards. This would be like if we had been hired as the two hosts of the official Star Trek podcast and then also gotten stunt cast in the Star Trek cartoon in a scene mm. with each other, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> ben, I feel like we're going to ping pong back and forth between the fun of the episode and then me asking you serious questions about therapy. This is going to be <laughs> the first of the second kind of thing we do sure. on the episode. I'm just going to ask this. Therapists do do talk about food a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a strong opinion about whether or not uh, therapy is most useful when foisted upon a person or whether it's self-motivated? And do you believe one occurs more often than the other? Because I thought it was very interesting that Freeman punishes Mariner with therapy that she doesn't want to do. Yeah, I I don't know the answer to the second part of your question, but... If you've ever been in an argument with somebody who says, God, you need therapy or whatever, yeah. like like hurling that as uh, a an insult at someone is like basically couldn't be more counterproductive if you actually want them to seek the help right. of a of a mental health care professional. <laughs> it's a real situation where someone yells at me to do something of any kind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I know that people get like ordered by courts to seek therapy and, and stuff like that. Um, I, I don't know if that is more or less or the same amount of effective. Hmm. Um, but I mean, I, like, I think that therapists are generally prepared they must they must be like professionally prepared but but also just like experientially prepared for the the hostile witness you know because like even if you want to go to therapy there are areas that you might not want to talk about and your therapists 
job is to kind of like open you up and and you know help you like look at the things that are the scariest to look at i feel a great amount of empathy for any therapist who is confronted with a patient who doesn't want to be there (laughs) because like as a as a as a professional corporate video producer uh (laughs) basically most of my projects involved employees who didn't want to participate in the video i was trying to make (laughs) yeah maybe uh maybe a couple of semesters of psychology in college would have uh helped you (laughs) so we meet dr mcglimo uh Dr. McLemo is played by Paul F. Tompkins, who is contractually obligated uh, post-Bojack Horseman to be animal characters. Uh-huh. I think Paul F. Tompkins is a, is a great voice actor, but what a challenge it must be for him to like play another animated animal and to try to give <laughs> that a different spin. Like he always yeah. there's something very pleasant about his voice in, in voicing characters like Mr. Peanut Butter, but I wonder how difficult it is for him to get out of that lane after having played that guy for so long. How do you find Birdman after you've found Dogman? <laughs> right. I mean, it's a it's a real fish versus dog conundrum. <laughs> it is. We're going to name this episode the same as we named the uh, the Greatest Gen episode, right? Yeah, that, that was literally fish versus dog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she hates this therapy and is, is uh, grumping it up in a holodeck program that Tendi and Rutherford are participating in, which is skeet shooting with Leonardo da Vinci. Nice shot, da Vinci. Yeah, see. Uh, Ensign Boimler comes in and kind of just takes over. He's like that kid who shows up on the playground and goes, playing tag? No, we're not. We're playing we're mm-hmm. playing kickball, you know. Uh, there's a frequency in this episode and a couple of others where uh, it feels like we're on course to somewhere and then we are ripped away from that. And this happens actually twice in this scene because Boimler comes in going, hey guys, this is actually an episode about me. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and it is not. If you're picturing our signatures in the end credits of this episode, if you thought Mariner was going to be the capper, she ain't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he has a program that gets very dangerously close to LaForging because mm-hmm. he has loaded all the personal logs of every member of the Cerritos crew and simulated the ship in the holodeck so that he can practice uh, his interactions with senior crew members. And he's getting really excited because there is a uh, a call out for enthusiastic, eager to please officers to take a seminar on advanced diplomacy from Captain Freeman. And butt liquor that Boimler is, he is uh, he wants to be the most eager to please. There is the briefest amount of umbrage taken at the idea of personal logs being used to create <laughs> these these holographic people. Yeah. And I think what we learn here is that there's no incognito mode with personal logs. They're always available. <laughs> right. It would be one thing if if you could actually read someone else's personal log, but it that part doesn't seem to be the case here it's just that the computer can use them the the computer can use it to to get the gestalt of the person that it is simulating and and pretty much nail it this is the scene where uh where mariner goes actually boims uh this is not what we're doing for this episode instead i'm going to rewrite your program and so she does and it takes zero time at all for this episode to pivot into the movie within a TV show. It's called Crisis Point, The Rise of Vindicta. She recodes his program in screenplay format, complete with the courier font. It's very fun to see on the arch. And, uh, And there is a extended scene where they argue over the fact that she is hijacked his his program uh while they stand in front of the opening credits which are done in the style of wrath of khan but the words keep flying at the screen and bonking boimler on the head i got real flashbacks to our tours like this is a bit that we love to do uh every time we go out for a new movie tour we'll we'll do an opening video 
we've like taken to this thing where we redesign the credits of the film we're reviewing, but in our our signature dumb sense of humor. <laughs> this is also the beginning of a cinematic leitmotif. Uh, we compress the frame into a wider screen aspect ratio yep. out of the movies. This is also the moment that begins a bit of film grain. Yeah. And this is so tastefully done, Ben, because I feel like most of the time you see these kind of effects placed on, like, to use a an example from our professional history, like shooting digital video, you're, you're made to, as part of the process, uh, make it cinematic by doing techniques like this. Like, give it film grain, give it scratches. Yeah. Uh, and this is so dialed down into subtlety that that i think if you weren't looking for it you'd barely detect it yeah there's a, a few like errant scratches on the mm-hmm. on the frame but there's cigarette burns yeah mostly this is com- communicated in like a slight shift in the in the colors toward yeah. a more like film color palette and a cine log kind of look yeah and i agree like it's it's really nice to see it done in this way like it honestly more than anything reminded me of going to see undiscovered country with you at the cinerama in seattle where they had a 70 millimeter print of it and it looked great but you do see a scratch from time to time because it's a piece of emulsion that has been going around from theater to theater for 20 years or whatever and it's a little beat up it's great it's not like old ye oldie timey movie effect and and that's the distinction the image is not juddering around in the frame like as if as if on sprockets you know right there's subtle flicker and grain but yeah. but that's about as far as they take it for most of the time yeah the action in the film opens uh, with Boimler still on screen as uh, as the as the setting fades up, and so he plummets because he is high up in the air over a lake, and we get a, uh, a lower third establishing this as Kaba Lake Command Retreat. Yeah, every once in a while you got to get the crew out and do some team building activities. Yeah. This is something I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. They've uh, <laughs> they've got like uh, like Starfleet issue jet skis. I was just gonna say I never went on a retreat that looked this fun. <laughs> I went. Uh, I had a couple of jobs in my life where there were there were staff retreats, and I never got invited on them. Oh no! Yeah, I would have invited you, Ben. A couple of uh, jobs ago, my company just dialed them back and back and back. Like, they used to be fun. We used to go places. We used to spend a little department money. Right. And it finally, the yearly turned into uh, a conference room in the building where we all worked. (laughs) And, like, maybe some pizza. Wow. Like, really cheaped out. Like, Demotivating is what that retreat was. There's nothing more depressing than maybe pizza in a conference room. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. We get uh, we get the hydro scooting with Freeman Ransom Shacks, Doctor Katz, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> uh, putting a, a cat on a jet ski, and Boimler clearly uninvited on this outing. Yeah, Boimler as Benjamin R. Harrison here. <laughs> There's a lot of fun tension in this between familiar characters to us who are simulated. Uh, for example, like Boimler in this scene, a character who is not simulated and also is sort of out of character because he's not in the correct costume. He's still wearing his normal uniform and not his Starfleet wetsuit. So they uh, immediately get... Uh, called to a starbase by a uh, Admiral Viserri who puts them on a mission. The leaders of a planet that they've recently made first contact with have signaled to Starfleet their appreciation for second contact, which they recently completed with the San Clemente, a ship that does not exist. So the game is afoot in the film within a show. The uh, the Cerritos is going to head out to see what the hell is going on with this uh, with this San Clemente gambit. There she is. 
We get a scene where the shuttle like pulls up to the ship and orbits around it, and it's like a really long sustained dead air joke about how much time the Star Trek films spend just giving us beauty shots of the entrepreneur, and I was here for it. So was I. I think it's such a fun needle to thread because this is a moment that makes fun of Star Trek with the most amount of love. Right. This is this is an affectionate send-up that that even the most hardened cynic, I think, wouldn't melt in the face of. I I was laughing out loud during this the longer it went. <laughs> it could have been double the length of what we got. It could have run the entire episode, and I, I think it would have been the biggest <laughs> troll job. <laughs> like, it would have been great. Uh, but as it... As it was, like it, it gave me the legit chills. The way that the scene always gives me the chills in the movies. It goes back and forth, right? Like, because there's parts of it where you're like, you know, like it cuts to a character with tears welling up in, in his eyes, and it makes me laugh. And then it cuts to like a really beautiful sweeping, yeah, orbital shot of the ship. And I'm like, I love the Cerritos. I love Star Trek. You know what's really cool magic in an animated show is how you can tell that they've changed lenses on shots. <laughs> totally. Because this is one of those scenes where you get some wide angle and you get some like macro and you get like the whole thing like there's one shot specifically that I love which is like the dish is yeah is you're like so close to the front of the saucer and it totally distorts the proportions yeah that's a direct reference to uh, 2009 Star Trek I think and I mean like there's a lot of uh, a lot of anamorphic lens flare going on in in these first moments in space that uh, are definitely also references to that, but uh, it's a whole lot of fun. So great. One of the highlights of the ep, I think, for sure. Freeman has a new Engage stand-in, Adam, and I wonder if this is something that she will carry into her real life or if this is just the holodeck version of herself that says this. Warp me! <laughs> This is a question that isn't entirely answered toward the end of the episode, but the the idea of a person confronting the holodeck version of yourself and knowing that the holodeck has has constructed its version of you using your personal logs right made me wonder in a scene like this whether or not the real Freeman would totally dig that or or cringe thinking that there's no way she would ever yeah put it, it that way cringe in the way that like William Riker cringes at choices made by Thomas Riker yeah yeah I hope it sticks around I love it as a line yeah big it's fan. no hit it but, <laughs> <laughs> but but I think it's perfect for the for the feeling of this show yeah uh, they've they've flown directly into a trap Adam as uh, as is often the case in a Star Trek film, they uh, they arrive at this planet and immediately a Klingon warship decloaks off of their bow, and uh, at the in the captain's chair on the warship is a character played by Mariner, name of Vindicta. I love her kit bashed D seven. Mm-hmm. I think it's super cool looking. I love that when she begins the FaceTime with with uh, Hollow Freeman, she, <laughs> she like she's relishing the the heavy role, and she goes right into. Like, she almost becomes too excited to to do the henchman introductions properly because she's like improvising on the fly uh, in her introduction of Tendi and Rutherford as Bionic Five. <laughs> Like Tendi gets to keep her name, but but she's she's given a thick layer of peanut butter in the form of the Orion stereotypes, which you can see is like hurting Tendi in the moment. Yeah. But a uh, hype man is what Bionic Five is, and Rutherford is just the perfect hype man in all situations. Seriously, very enthusiastically throwing himself into the role, uh, as is uh, the hollow creation of Shempo, which was the part that Mariner had written for Boehm's. Uh, she, I guess, on the fly rewrote his character as a total yo-yo because he gets he gets killed pretty quickly. <laughs> I looked up who did the voice of Shempo, Ben. 
it's you and me doing Bajoran artifact. <laughs> if the person who plays Shampo ever has to call in sick, that's that's something you or me could easily yeah. do. That's the one voice we've got total command of. Listen, CBS, if you're listening, I have a closet. I have a couple of pieces of sound absorptive foam. I have a room getting very warm. <laughs> Uh, I like the I like the made up ass character name for Shampo. Also, like definitely yeah. just a Three Stooges slash Marx Brothers pull it out of thin air type of idea. Right. I love how uh, initially Boimler is insulted and then pivots right into uh, recognizing himself in Shampo. <laughs> Vindicta does that thing where she pivots to recording to give herself time to board the Cerritos, which she does with Tendi and Bionic 5 in, in, in kind of a like shuttle with a, with a drilling laser situation. They're able to board the ship. Yeah. This boarding party uh, starts violent and gets violenter. They walk off of their, uh, of their ship, which has crushed a couple of crew members in the, in the hallway when it, you know, dropped its little elevator tube down and, you know, Vindicta briefly gets her cape caught in the, in the door, but then starts wasting crew members. And, uh, this, this is a pretty rugged firefight that, uh, winds up claiming the life of, uh, Commander Ransom, but not before, uh, he uh, he can tell Boimler that uh, indeed the idea of bringing cookies to Captain Freeman in a non-emergency context is a good one. This scene starts a pattern of violence which gets greater and greater yeah. and begins to offend Tendi here as the episode goes on. It made me think a lot about the differences culturally we feel for violence versus uh sexual content mm-hmm. as a culture right because uh, i mean this is a country that prefers by a large margin uh, to be entertained by violence rather than sex but not me brother i love me some sex when i thought about broccoli's many holodeck programs and the reaction the crew people had towards that and then i see how tendy's feeling witnessing vindicta just like tear through the the crew with a gore gun <laughs> uh like that re- it really made me think a lot about those reactions and how differently we might feel about uh barkley if his interests in holodeck were more violent than than sexual in nature yeah i mean i think that what tendy is feeling is very othered and this is something that I thought a, a lot about, like, if the Orions were a traditionally oppressed alien species or if they were considered more of, like, a dangerous alien species. Like, I just, I don't have enough Orion reps under my belt. Like, I've seen some brief Orion stuff in Discovery, but I really don't know from Orions in... Uh, original series and i i know that they're like slavers and i know that they're they're kind of a uh, they're kind of an enemy species but i think this is a reference that is that is taking advantage of that like all you know is the stereotype all anyone knows is the stereotype and the, and the point of one of the points of the episode is how how harmful that is to someone who does not recognize themselves in that dirty orion <gasps> what did he Attention that this episode uses a lot is this is a person playing a part and are playing, you know, playing that part with greater or less relish. And Boimler asking Commander Ransom about cookies is another, you know, like we, you can kind of like suspend your disbelief a second le- level in this episode and just enjoy the like film story within the Right, the episode, or or unsuspend it and remember that these are characters playing against uh, other characters who are simulated. And so, like when when Boimler is disappointed that he doesn't find out what cookie ingredient the captain is allergic to because Ransom has been killed in his arms, he's he's disappointed about the 
not getting the piece of knowledge, not not sad that Ransom is dead, you know? <laughs> you can really choose your own stakes yeah. as you follow the, the different crew people around. Yeah, it's both high stakes and no stakes the entire time, and I really like that both kind of work, you know? Rutherford is an example of of this he as soon as he boards the cerritos he feels a moment of epiphany where he's like oh so everyone on the crew is here uh even billups i gotta go find that guy and so he (laughs) leaves the mission with vindicta and goes rogue but not in a way you might expect yeah he just wants to tell billups about uh how great he thinks he is as an engineer and uh in so doing, he kind of like firefights his way into the engineering section and the engineering garage door shuts, trapping Rutherford and Billups in the room. And they basically just get to geek out about engineering shit for the rest of the episode. I feel like Billups might be a kind of Rutherford figure. I feel like every time we've run into him, he's always been very encouraging yeah, and, and nice. Uh, he doesn't have the heart to shoot Bionic 5 to defend uh, the engineering section. Instead, they need to work together. There's an emergent problem here that uh, that they can solve only if they do that. Right. And uh, Rutherford is back to being considered a good engineer. In another area of the ship, Shax is defending the bar with a BFG. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Mariner uses a severed Borg head as a personal shield device. This was so awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Great theoretical use of Star Trek thing. And this is kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back with Tendi because Mariner's really trying to paint her into an Orion corner and Tendi... uh, Tendi's like, listen, like in the last five years, the Orions have cleaned up our brand and I don't don't like this and I'm, I'm out. Not all Orions, she says. <laughs> yeah. And she uh, she calls for an arch and, and walks out. And I loved, to, uh, I loved all the gore from them killing hollow shacks uh, disappearing off of her body as she walks into the hallway. <laughs> there was a subtle moment here that made me wonder how dark they were willing to go with Mariner because before Tendi leaves, Mariner mentions going to find Dr. Katz to torture her. (laughs) That being a, you know, a a behavior signifier of, of a pathology that frequently leads to like real murderers. Right. This is a moment that makes you side with Tendi for sure and takes a little bit of the fun out of rooting for Mariner as Vindicta, right? It's almost like Tendi saves Dr. Katz. Her name is Dr. Tana. I mean, Mariner read the, the book on how to write a screenplay. <laughs> so Vindicta makes her way to the bridge uh, just like gore-gunning her way there, gore-guns another two remaining bridge officers, and then blows up her own ship, which blows the Cerritos into the planet's atmosphere, through the atmosphere, and rolls the saucer section like like a paper plate at a windy picnic through the through the mountains. If the if the Enterprise D is a frisbee coming to rest on the grass, uh, yeah, <laughs> the Cerritos is a paper plate at a picnic, <laughs> right? And uh, it actually it actually lands kind of propped up between a couple of mountain peaks, so on it on its edge. Another another time we see the Cerritos get totally fucked up in space. This time it crashes to the planet. One thing I'm noticing, Adam. Girders almost never fall out of the ceiling on the Cerritos. I know. I had noticed that too. What's going on? Where are the girders? I'll tell you what it means, Ben. And if you check your, once you get your printer set up, uh, <laughs> you'll you'll find this paper coming through once you okay. get oh, yeah. internet connectivity. Uh, I think it underscores the safety of the holodeck, the, the untrue stakes there. No one's in danger, so there's not going to be any girders falling. This is right. hollow Cerritos. Wow. Yeah. You only get real girders with real stakes. It's like in a video game when you're when you like blow up 
a building. You see all the like debris collapse on, on the ground, but then immediately disappear because the game doesn't want to bother rendering all that crap for the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, real, real girders for my real stakes. <laughs> sham girders for my holodeck. <laughs> it's a great point, Adam. <laughs> Not enough people are making it. <laughs> So this scene is very complicated because we've got a lot of reality bending going on because Vindicta, as played by real-life Mariner, is having a argument phaser fight with Captain Freeman where Vindicta is leveling complaints against Captain Freeman that are, in fact, the complaints of real-life Mariner. But then Hollow Mariner comes to the defense of Hollow Captain Freeman and... This becomes a real salad of playing and breaking character. Did you think that for a moment that Mariner was really going to kill her mom? When she's holding, like, there's a, there's a sharpened pipe or something that she's holding up above her head before... Right. Uh, ...before Hollow Mariner comes in and interrupts. In a very Aliens kind of move. In a very, let off some steam. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder... If they played with that and if they just knew that that would be a bridge too far. It is a moment that in a live action show, I think I think if you have her kill her mom, then you have to have that be like a very painful moment of catharsis yeah. and the moment that causes reflection. But because this is a silly comedy show, they uh, I think they wisely avoid letting it go that far and have uh, Hollow Mariner come in instead and, and start throwing the aliens lines around with glee. Uh, here comes another therapy question. Okay. Hollow Mariner versus Vindicta is clearly the therapy that Mariner can benefit from. But when you are in an environment with a therapist, is the therapist intentionally playing the part of you back at you? at all like does it ever feel that way like like a therapist's insight is based on their conversations with you and like is that part of the technique the the therapist is like i i know you from our conversations and so i'm going to ask you probing questions that can hopefully evoke some insight but the right, only way right. i can do that is by knowing you the way that i know thus making me a form of you that can uh, interact with you in this way it's a, it's a great question. I like to flatter myself that I am a reliable narrator <laughs> when I'm in the therapist chair. Yeah. But I know that that's not always true. You know, I know that, like, I mean, we all have egos, and occasionally I will fudge something or uh, allied a point that may, you know, may be scary to admit or something. So I don't know. I mean, I think that. I think that uh, you're asking me questions that like a actual therapist would probably be better at answering than I am because I've only got my subjective experience and watching The Sopranos to lean on. Oh, yeah. And yeah. from what I understand, the uh, Dr. Melfi is not a great example of a hyper-competent professional therapist. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, the, the entire episode inspired questions like that in me because... I mean, this conver this fight conversation... Hey, Adam, can I make a suggestion? Maybe you should get on a therapist's couch and find out for yourself. Yeah, that'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> the fight argument that Hollow Mariner and, Vi and Vindicta have is pretty constructive. Yeah, they are talking in depth about what makes Mariner tick and why she fucks off at work all the time why she is so hostile to the captain like this has kind of been the central mystery of season one of lower decks and i feel like lower decks did not make its job easy putting exposition about this mystery in a scene as like metaphysically complicated as this one right but uh it kicks ass it totally works i mean there's something there to inspire when the main thrust of the argument is that being good is the hard thing. Being the chaos destructivist agent is the easy thing. You know, it's right there. Right. It's right there to learn from. 
And I think that like the something that this show is doing on a more like like it is a very like slapstick kind of comedy in this episode but like there's some pretty like heavy metaphor stuff in this like Meritor self-destructs her own ship twice in this episode in yeah. a way that feels like it is in direct conversation with this scene they're not casting you as a villain you are we cut to the surface briefly before the end of this fight between Hollow Mariner and Vindicta to to Billups and Bionic 5 sort of becoming a Thelma and Louise couple. <laughs> like like imagining a world where they can just be engineers together, enjoying the thing they love the most. Yeah. When Billups and Bionic 5 leave the frame, we find Dr. Katz. Her name is Dr. Tana. I wonder how deeply they scrutinized what she says here. Godspeed, you crazy f- Can somebody that is good at lip-reading lip-read the cartoon and uh, uncover what the bleeped word is? Clearly, this is a relationship that's going somewhere, and I hope it does. Yeah, uh, that would be delightful. Um, We we may be finding things out about Rutherford and Billups that we we never knew. Uh, We also find out something about the captain in this scene, because Boimler shows up with chocolate chip cookies, which are the obvious cookie to bake for anyone. But Ensign Jet gets in between them and punches Boimler's lights out. Turns out the the captain's allergy is to chocolate. I have to admit, Ben, a a grave error on my part. And it's happened episode after episode for me. I want to apologize. I forgot about Jet. That guy fucking rules. Wow. He's so awesome. He hasn't been on my mind the way he should be, the way that someone that cool should be. I suppose you could say, nowadays everybody want to talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move the lips, just a bunch of gibberish, and motherfuckers act like they forgot about Jet. I love that Freeman, like, Freeman emboldens Jet to, later on, throw Boimler off a cliff. <laughs> this is the question of vanity I had when, when I, I posited the question about, like, if you met your holographic self and you knew it was created from your personal logs, whether or not you how you would feel about that depiction. Right. The computer knows something about Jet and his willingness to throw Boimler off a cliff here that I think is very interesting. It's done the math. (laughs) It believes Jet would do that. Right. Jet's still holding a grudge over Boimler uh, becoming a boyfriend to his ex-girlfriend. Yeah. Jet rules. I mean, there's some toxic masculinity lingering in Jet. But I'm gonna, I'm willing to forgive it for how much he rules. Yeah. Uh, back in the saucer, Hollow Mariner has won the argument with uh, with the insight that she's given real Mariner, uh, and to emphasize her point, uh, the self destruct timer was going the whole time. Yeah. The program ends with the explosion of the ship. Which is an elegant way to to disrupt the scene in the moment, right? Yeah. We go back to yellow cross-hatching on a black stage. Boimler falls like one and a half feet from a prone position onto the floor. Uh, everybody's just standing around in their silly costumes. Uh, I guess it's just the three of them at this point. But uh, the movie ended in a triumph. Hollow Mariner sacrificed herself to save the crew. This has a profound effect on Vindicta slash Mariner. The needs of the crew outweighed the needs of Hollow Mariner. I don't know. Whenever you've murdered a bunch of your fellow crew people, I think it helps to kind of decompress in the bar. I would want a little bit of time. Like, <laughs> this has got to be insane making, right? To go from a holodeck program where you've done this to to back on the ship where the holodeck took place right among the crew people that you've murdered in a place where you've murdered them yeah there's that moment at the end of that one barkley episode where he's like end program (laughs) just testing his reality and you'd have to do that right you'd have to do that every day when you wake up just to be safe (laughs) mariner's mentally strong here and she makes uh, a needed apology to Tendi 
And uh, again, a needed apology to the captain who uh, she leaves standing sort of stunned in the in the hallway. And the captain immediately assumes that this was something that, uh, you know, developed in the on the therapist's couch. So she goes and meets with the ship's counselor. I, I, we didn't really talk about the office of the ship's counselor uh, before, but I, I loved that it was like so tweety, so so professorial, but still very TNG era in its design. I loved seeing the corduroy jacket with the the, the com badge on it. Yeah, so good. <laughs> that was a nice touch. I like that the ship's therapist canonically does not have to wear a uniform. Yeah. Uh, Freeman has, has been burned so many times. She's really suspicious of this mariner who has responded well to therapy she does not get her answer here uh we cut away to back to the holodeck where boimler is relaunching the end of the movie where captain freeman is uh giving a little eulogy for mariner her daughter this totally scandalizes boimler it ruins him from now until they rendered until the end of the episode it's one of those car crash you can't look away from type moments where he is learning something he does not want to have learned, but it's too late and it takes him a long time to even like process that he should shut the program. Yeah. He's so fucked up that that he blows his interview with Freeman afterwards. He just can't even make words. Yeah. Uh, one thing that the interview scene did confirm to me that those captain's trinkets were captain freeman's trinkets the entire time right right but also that boimler is way too far up in his head he he cannot get out of his own way in this interview and uh something really bad goes on his per- permanent record here yeah ensign boimler didn't bother to prepare for an interview terrible yeah i mean it didn't seem very high stakes as interviews go but <laughs> yuck but it was <laughs> Freeman's never going to forget this. That's an impression that is going to be lasting, I think. One of the last uh, tributes to Star Trek's film history occurs at the end in the in the push through the clouds to the surface of Idlocana 6. Uh, the, the torpedo opens and Vindicta is there. Uh, she rises before being uh, murdered by Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci turns to camera and goes, This is Idoclana 6. <laughs> we get our signatures at the end of Star Trek 6. Like every movie, I feel like, gets its, its wink and finger guns. Yeah. Very, very fun. Did you like the episode, Adam? I think this was my favorite episode of the season. I liked it a whole lot. All right, you already said that. I didn't even need to ask the question. That was great. I, like, I want to rewatch it. Uh, over and over again in a way that I feel like the the whole season's been very rewatchable, but this episode specifically, I I thought it was really really solid. And like, I think I know I think I know something is truly funny if uh, if when I'm watching it by myself I'm laughing out loud. Yeah, like that is a uh, that that really passes the test, and that happened a couple of times this episode. So what about you, Ben? I also really liked it. I. Uh... I don't know if it's my favorite app of the season. I'm not sure if I'm ready to make that call, but uh, but it was up there. I thought it was good. Yeah. Well, we got to see if it, we have any Priority One messages up there. And uh, now's the time where we check them. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. Oh, boy. It's from the Spies Like Us podcast. Hey. Message goes like this. Two guys that are not at all embarrassed about having a spy movie podcast. Spy heroes come in all flavors. From realistic to ridiculous, the Spies Like Us podcast is a weekly exploration of the spy genre with an emphasis on analyzing tradecraft. Wow. Our most recent episodes are a deep dive into the Elam Garrick character from DS9. Damn. How good of a spy is he? Really? is the question we ask ourselves. We are excited to share our findings with the Greatest Discovery family. 
Uh, so be sure to subscribe and uh, and download to the Spies Like Us podcast. You can also find that over at spieslikeus.net. Damn. I mean, this is a podcast that directly competes with a podcast we were thinking about making, but... I know. Yeah. <laughs> I've I've got uh, I've got some bad news for the Spies Like Us podcast. I got some bad news for us. Yeah. We got scooped. Yeah, it's true. Uh, wow, check out uh, the Spies Like Us podcast. I bet if you search in your podcast app that you're you, that you're using right now, Spies Like Us will pop right up, and yeah. you'll be happy you did. Sounds like a good show. Yeah, do not confuse it with a show that only reviews Spies Like Us, the movie. That's, that's not what the show is about. It's about something else entirely. Yeah. It's sort of like how we decided to name our show The Greatest Generation uh, right. when it's not about that at all. We do not review the book The Greatest Generation on The Greatest Generation. By Tom Brokaw, yeah. Uh, Adam, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It is from Mike Durst. And it is for Adam and Ben, comma, Ben and Adam. So mm. I guess that's uh, you and me from this show and you and me from Greatest Gen, probably. That makes sense. The message goes like this. Both your ST podcasts are happy pills for me. They are the brightest spot in my weekly viewing lineup, even more so during the pandemic. My smiles and LOLs while walking and listening must be perplexing to other walkers, but so much fun for me. <laughs> Thanks for all you do to make all FODs everywhere happier. P.S. I love Lower Decks. Hey, thanks, Mike. I love uh, I love a joke that's just for you, you know? Yeah. I love that thing that happens with podcasts where I will be, you know, headphones in on a public bus or something and laugh at something and feel like a little self-conscious at being the weirdo who's like cracking up at the back of the bus i had i had a experience when i was a little kid we flew across country and there was like a comedy radio station in the little headphone jack in the armrest of the plane and i listened to it like i listened to it for enough of the flight that i like heard it loop back around again <laughs> and i you know i I don't know if it was because it was a flight or because it was a great program or what, but I like I found it like incredibly funny to the point that like other people on the flight asked my parents if they could quiet their seven-year-old down. Whoa! Because I was like enjoying it that much. I was laughing to an extent that it was like bothering other people, and uh, it's it's like a it's a sense memory that I go back to every time I laugh at like a podcast or something like that when I'm in public. I think that's pretty fucked up to think that the laughter of someone else is a problem. Especially the laughter of a child. I'm, I'm the kind of fucked up that whenever I hear someone laugh, I think that they're laughing at me about something. Yeah. They're like, that, that guy probably yeah. has a Star Trek podcast. I will tell you that uh, I had to watch this episode of uh, Lower Decks and an episode of Deep Space Nine before we recorded today, and uh, we have uh, some painters here at the house who uh, were coming in, and one of them was like, oh, you like Star Trek? And I was like, yeah, you like Star Trek? And he was like, yeah, man, that was really nice. Hey, that's cool. That was a moment that could have gone toward the embarrassing, but it uh, it stayed cool. Then he loaded up his roller with... Uh... <laughs> With Bandite Brown and, uh, <laughs> and went to work. Yep, you know me. Well, if you've got a priority one message, uh, you can take it on over to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where uh, both types of messages go a long, long way to supporting the greatest discovery. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. 
Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code TREK50 at factormeals.com slash TREK50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up, the episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I did. Uh, I'm giving my Larkin to. Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we got his rank, but we got Winger and Lieutenant Lamonts, who are the characters that get crushed by the boarding party in the film of Crisis Point. Uh, yeah. Winger saw Lieutenant Lamonts' performance and is complimenting him on it when they get crushed. And I, I just loved that like that business of these are two people living their lives that have nothing to do with what's going on in this movie. I always love shit like that when it happens in episodes. Um, so uh, they are my Edward Larkins, my co-Larkins for this episode. The suggestion of an inner life. A, and a and a fully realized backstory, right before being snuffed out, <laughs> like a, like an air conditioner falling out of a building. <laughs> so funny. Did you have an Edward Larkin, Adam? I've got so many rules about my Edward Larkins on this show. Uh, maybe most famously, it's always Mariner, unless it isn't. I think any episode that features Jet means that it's always Jet, unless it isn't. Wow. But on this episode. They've done this a couple of times, and it always gives me the biggest laugh. The off-screen yell at the camera. Someone yells, oh, hell yeah, Jet, when he's, when he's kicking the shit out of Boimler. That's my guy. Oh, hell yeah, Jet guy. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great Larkin. Is Edward Larkin, because it's, uh, it underscores everything that's, that's cool about Jet. Everyone loves Jet. He's the best. Everybody knows that Jet totally rules and Boimler totally drools. Yeah. Good Larkin, Adam. Well, uh, God, coming up, I can't believe it. The season finale of Star Trek Lower Decks, 
I wish this show went on and on. It's been so great for the last nine weeks. I'm going to be really sorry to miss it. Yeah. What do we have coming up for the finale, though? Uh, well, it's a uh, it's another one of our little edited packages here. Uh, it seems like it does get out uh, Boimler's knowledge of Mariner's parentage, uh, makes it back to her, uh, maybe even makes it to the bridge of the ship, and uh, and Adam got a glimpse of an exocomp in this coming episode. Just wow. could not feel more like this show was aimed directly at us. We got to count up the exocomps and see if if we were to double the runtime, if it would exceed the number of exocomps <laughs> in the original exocomps episode. Statistically, yeah. I'm excited to find out. I, I, I watched this 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 little promo and went over to the greatest gen reddit sub and there was already like a long thread of people just adding comments saying exocomp <laughs> <laughs> that's Which great I, I had a lot of fun looking at uh yeah, yeah. It's, it's good stuff wow well hopefully uh we will have a recording arrangement that isn't currently 140 degrees <laughs> uh, i've sweated through my shirt yeah so it's pretty gross right now one grave error I made is that I have a bandana on to uh, put up over my nose and mouth when I uh, go outside or I'm talking to uh, one of the one of the tradesmen we have here today. And uh, I well, I am a dummy in that I did not take it off before I came here into the hot box. So it's now completely saturated with sweat on the back of my neck. It is so gross mm. feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Ben, I hope things get better for you over there. I really do. I mean, these are these are champagne problems, man. I'm uh Yeah. I, it's it's a stressful and complicated couple of couple of days, but uh but I'm going to get through it. It's going to be fine. I'm excited for you to start submitting to ask this old house. Excited <laughs> to to see that episode. Well, you've chosen a totally disgusting laminate flooring for this 1924 bungalow. <laughs> That's your mistake, Mr. Harrison, but we're going to help you get some of the blood stains out of it. <laughs> By not removing his handkerchief, he's ensured a very sweaty neck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's leave it with Rob's from here. See you next week. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. This show is produced by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia, who just hit a milestone over on his YouTube channel, so I encourage you all to go check it out. If you're looking for more Trek, why not binge all of our previous Greatest Discovery episodes about Star Trek Discovery in preparation for Season 3? And don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those social media accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly, the card daddy. Thanks, Bill. We really appreciate it. And thank you, listeners. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned, audience supported.